Happy Wednesday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio, Anthony Resnick producing behind the scenes. Uh, Alex Margulies will join us here in just a minute uh, talking about road tripping, some more of that through Idaho. Uh, base jumping off of a bridge. Chris, that could be a bet or no bet. Uh, Alex wanted to do it, said he wanted to do it. Uh, there was a limitation uh, apparently on weight. Alex is a big dude. Um, but uh, would you do that? Would you jump off a bridge? Uh, yeah, because uh, it's a tandem, so I don't really do much work. They just tape me to the person, and uh, they do all the work. But, yeah, I think that'd be a cool experience. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun. I, I'm a, I'm terrible with heights. You know, if I'm like on the edge of something, I freak out. So I don't know. I think once I was shoved over, I'd probably be fine. But uh, you know, who knows? Uh, Mary's mailbag. It uh, comes out every Sunday, but there it's, questions are asked on Sunday. But uh, we put it on the show today on Wednesdays. Uh, the Canucks beat the Knights to force a game six, and the Giants have a record night in Denver. We'll go through all of that, but we're going to start off with uh, part two of Chris's three-part um, report on the all-high school defense team. We had the offensive team yesterday. Special teams are tomorrow. Now, let me preface this because you've been getting some criticism that this is entire career, you know, not just how they did while they were playing in high school, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And most of the criticisms come from one specific high school. Outside of that, everybody else has seemed to enjoy it. But uh, I'll keep bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't thrown them under the bus and named them yet. But, uh, uh, that's all right. I think if people wanted to find out who they were, they could. Uh, let's start with the defensive line and uh, across the front here. Uh, a couple from a uh, couple from uh, not smaller schools. One smaller school, but another one out of the area up in Tahoe. A couple of them. Yeah, a couple of Tahoe guys make the list. Uh, really, when I was putting this defense together, we've had a lot of really good linebackers come out of northern Nevada. Not so much on the line and in the back end. I think defensive backs is an exceptionally hard position to play. But starting with our defensive line, I went with a 3-4 defense because we had so many linebackers. The first one to make the list was uh, Sean Knight from Reed High School, went on to be an All-American at BYU and then was the number 11 pick in the NFL draft. Didn't have a long NFL career, but certainly deserves to make our list. Uh, the other two, as you mentioned, from Tahoe, one's Garrett McIntyre. Uh, uh, he was a Northern 4A defensive player in the year in 2002, but wasn't recruited by anybody, including Nevada. Ended up walking on at Fresno State, where he was a three-time all-conference player, the WAC Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, and then similar story with the NFL. Wasn't drafted, had to go play internationally, uh, and then ended up coming over and playing in the NFL for three or four years and having a pretty good pro career. Uh, and the third one, Sean Price. He played at North uh, Tahoe uh, a little bit after Ken Dalton with North Tahoe's coach. He won a state championship there with the Lakers, uh, had an epically good defense. Uh, they went undefeated that season. Uh, and then had a 22-sack year at Sierra College, ended up playing for Pacific, which no longer has uh, a football program, and then had a 10-year NFL career, 169 tackles, 14 and a half sacks. Um, but those last two guys certainly show you how much determination, no matter where you come from, can lead you to the NFL if you believe in yourself. You also mentioned as uh, backups there, Neil Holbert out of Wooster High School, uh, JJ Milan also out of Wooster High School, and then uh, Luke Arseniega out of Spanish Springs. Uh, let's get to that linebacker position. And this, this is a, there's a lot of talent right here. Yeah, this is a tough one. So I went with the starters of Kyle Van Noy, Josh Maga, Dave Wyman, and Ed Pine. I think those first three are slam dunks. 
uh, Van Noy, obviously an All-American at BYU, won a state championship at McQueen High, was a great tight end as well. Uh, and then has had a very good NFL career with two Super Bowls and just signed a huge contract with the Dolphins. Uh, Josh Maga was a, an outstanding high school player, both as a running back and as a linebacker. Had a very good career at Nevada and then a, a five or six year career in the NFL. And then Dave Wyman, uh, you know, played uh, 10 years in the NFL, 462 tackles, the most of any local, was a three-time all Pac-10 player at Stanford, uh, was All-State in three sports at Wooster High. And then I went with Ed Pine because I want to try and get some, you know, some guys who came, uh, you know, back in the day. So uh, he played at Reno High in the 1950s, uh, played at Utah's in their Football Hall of Fame, played in the East-West Shrine game, and then was the 22nd pick in the 1962 NFL Draft. But a ton of great linebackers have come out of this area. I mean, my backups, Jackson Leduc playing at Oregon, Ali Cajo playing at Alabama, Ryan Bader, who played, uh, he was a wrestler at Arizona State, but was a tremendous uh, high school football player. And then obviously Mike Crawford from Littell and played with the Wolfpack and then also in the NFL. I could have thrown in somebody like Russ Musselman, who was a Reno High All-American and then went and played at Nevada. Um, so a lot of really, really good linebackers, even Luke Arsenega. I mean, I put him at defensive end because he played a little bit of defensive end at Syracuse, but he was a linebacker in high school as well. So a ton, ton of really qualified linebackers on our list. Defensive back, I mean, these are all All-American guys. I mean, you're talking about this might be the best group. Uh, you're talking about linebackers being good. These DBs are outstanding. Yeah, I mean, Chris Carr, Quincy Sanders, uh, Duke Williams, and Josh Barrett, all of those guys uh, signed NFL contracts. I think Chris Carr is probably the best high school player if you're just looking at high school career to ever come out of Northern Nevada. He was arguably the best running back. He was arguably the best safety, and he was probably the best kick and punt returner ever. Um, so, I mean, just a, a tremendous, tremendous prep football player who ended up having a really good career at Boise State and then played, uh, you know, a long time in the NFL with 233 tackles, nine interceptions, top 10 in NFL history and kick return yarded. So he deserves to be on there. Uh, Quincy Sanders, I mean, he's best known for throwing his helmet at Coach Alt during the 1995 Nevada UNLV rivalry game. Uh, and I don't think that's fair because that's not his legacy. He was a tremendous football player at Reed High School, one of the best high school safeties in the nation according to people who watched him play, uh, was a tremendous player at UNLV, 270 tackles, three interceptions, and then was a fifth-round NFL draft pick. So this is a guy who could really play football. And, yeah, maybe he had one bad moment throwing his helmet at Coach Alt, but things happened in that rivalry game. The other two, Duke Williams, Josh Barrett, um, you know, Duke, obviously well-known to everybody here, a uh, great quarterback and defensive player at Hug High School, uh, was great at Nevada and then played four years in the NFL. And then Josh Barrett might be the best pure athlete to ever come out of Northern Nevada. I mean, that guy was a physical freak. He had uh, 11 returns for touchdown his senior season, seven on kicks and punts and four off interceptions. So you get the ball in that guy's hand, he was going to make plays for you. Ended up being a very good safety at Arizona State and then played with the Patriots and the Broncos in the NFL. Your backups, Del Bates, NFL career, Josh Lagrona McQueen, Mitchell Moore from Hug, and Archie Kovich from North Valley. So you want to read the entire write-up from Chris on the all-defensive team. You can check it out at nevadasportsnet.com. We'll get through special teams tomorrow. Coming up next here after the break, Alex Margulies will stop by the show, talk about his next feature, Road Trippin', continuing through the state of Idaho. Road Trippin' is sponsored by Sprads RV and Christensen Automotive. 
overlooking beautiful Shoshone Falls and the Snake River in Twin Falls, Idaho. We welcome you to our third leg of road tripping presented by Sprad's RV. Hey everybody, I'm Alex Margulies. We're on our way to Yellowstone and then Grand Teton National Park. Finally, Jackson Holt, Wyoming. But on the way, we have stopped here in what they call the Magic Valley. And it's pretty easy to see why when you've got landmarks like this. Shoshone Falls is called the Niagara Falls of the West. And get this, it's actually even taller at 212 feet. But we're gonna go just up the river and introduce you to a sport the locals absolutely love here, base jumping. What's up, wheels from Nitro Circus, yeah! I'm an ex-paratrooper uh, from the 82nd Airborne Infantry, 2nd of 504, yeah! And uh, I'm 100% PTSD, so this is my medicine. To me, if you're not smiling when you leave this bridge, maybe you should be doing something else. When you leave the bridge, you're free. You're completely free. Like everything, your brain empties out, you're on complete focus, and it's, just, it's pure. There's nothing as pure as, as base jumping. So where we're jumping today is Twin Falls. This is Perrine Bridge uh, over the Snake River. It's the best place to start base jumping in the United States. It's, it's a legal bridge. It's the only legal bridge in the United States. Um, and as far as the objects you jump in base jumping go, bridges are the safest. It's uh, about 480, just under 500 feet. You have about easily four seconds to safely deploy your um, your parachute. When you're leading up to the jump, when you're planning for the trip, everything, you start getting nervous. I was getting nervous here thinking about climbing over the railing, being on the other side of the bridge, getting ready to jump. That You, you can feel your heart rate rise. Sorry, Mom. Three, two, A common theme among base jumpers is you get this clear headspace. So when you jump or when you're about to jump, um, it's almost a sense of zen, I would say. Like you're, you're free, you are, you're going for it. Personally, it's actually kind of interesting. Like everything kind of goes quiet. Like there's, you don't worry about bells, you don't worry about meeting later in the day. You just worry about like what you need to do to get from point A to point B. Three, two, one. Kind of nice. It's like sort of, I think, mm, meditation for some people. A short-lived meditation. You know, Alex, I can only imagine some of the stuff that you come across, but guys jumping off a bridge. I mean, if, if you're somebody that's driving along and you see these guys just jumping off a bridge, I, it's the only legal place they can do it in the country, right? It's amazing, yeah. Uh, you know, when, when we were kind of approached about stopping in Twin Falls and making that part of this road trip, and, you know, one of the things I was asked was, hey, do you want to go base jumping? And I was like, Initially, I was like, yeah, of course, I would like to try something like that, but what's the weight limit? Because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to 
pass the test on that. You know, I can't do like skydiving. I can't, you know, pass weight for a lot of these types of things. So uh, I come to find out the tandem uh, maximum weight for a base jump is 180 pounds. So I think uh, the opportunity for that left me when I was about six years old. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it was still really cool to go watch people do this and learn a little bit more about the people that just kind of get into this sport. And uh, as you saw in the piece there, we met three folks, uh, one who has been living in Twin Falls for the last couple of years. And this is kind of like his morning coffee. Uh, the guy Nomad there who uh, it's kind of his daily routine to go out and says it's very therapeutic for him as, as somebody who's an ex-military and suffers from PTSD. Going out and, and jumping off this bridge is just what he needs to, to kind of cope and, and deal with some of his demons and anxieties that he's got. And, and I think that's really neat that that's something that he's been able to find. And then you know, there were two other folks uh, there as well, and they were visiting from out of the area. One came from Berkeley, the other from Irvine, and they were there, came to Twin Falls just to base jump because this is, as you said, and as it said in the piece, the only legal place in the country as a bridge uh, that you can jump off of. And bridges are the safest thing uh, for base jumpers, and it's a great way to kind of acclimate back into the sport before they go on maybe to something a little more challenging or, or daunting, things that involve more climbing, uh, so it was really just interesting to learn more about this world and, and these people and, and get to see them jump off the cliff firsthand. I mean, it's definitely a, a nervy thing to watch somebody uh, just jump off a bridge and pull that parachute a couple seconds earlier. You get to hear that big pop uh, from the chute as they go down. It was definitely uh, a unique experience for sure. What is it about that location that uh, makes it legal, makes it maybe safe to do so? I think it's honestly just the county of them just allowing it. I think, you know, the bridge itself is in a really good location. It's 500 feet tall, you know, so it's long, it's tall. Um, it's not exposed. There's a lot of space. You've got the river. There's some kind of safe landing areas. And from what I understand, I don't think it was always legal, but I think eventually over time, the county and, and let's go ahead and just make this legal and embrace this instead of kind of fighting against it. So uh, not only do people come from around the country to do this, this is kind of where people come from around the world. If you're a base jumper, you come to Twin Falls first, to, to, as they say, to kind of get acclimated, uh, to get current, as they call it, to kind of get your gear ready and get comfortable with the environment before maybe moving on to a place like Moab or, you know, some of these other places in the West that are really uh, great for, for base jumping. Um, but it's, it's a really awesome deal because of just the access. I mean, it's so easy to get on. There's a great landing area for them. It's an easy place to walk back up. Um, and they were saying in a normal year, um, you know, pre COVID, they said there'd, there'd be busloads of tourists that would come, uh, Asian tourists specifically from China would come in and they would come by the busload. They would come into the visitor center and come watch them base jump. That was kind of part of the tour. And that was something that people would actually come in just to watch. So it's, it's become kind of a, a tourist attraction for the area. It really does seem like it's a very, very unique venue. You know, I mean, it's, when you look at what you're talking about, you know, the height of it, there's a bridge in Auburn that reminds me of that. Yeah. Where it's got that height, it's got that distance. I don't know the one in, in Auburn that you know, goes over a river also has the landing zone that, that the one that you're talking about does, but it certainly is along your trips, Alex, I know that you've talked to me about this off, off air, is that there are some places that have a whoa factor where you walk up and you stop and whoa, you know, um, definitely Crater Lake had that. So yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You able to look at the stars overnight in some of these places. This one has, 
Is there another whoa factor on this trip where you you, you stopped and got out and went, whoa? I, I think this was. I mean, um, you know, I think somebody asked me the other day, they said, what of the three places you've been, Oregon, Utah, down to Arizona, now this Idaho, Wyoming trip, what, what was the one place that surprised you the most? And I think it was Twin Falls, okay. you know, because I wasn't planning. This wasn't something that I, I had carved out as like, I'm going to Twin Falls this summer. It was like, you know, I'm going to Yellowstone. I'm going to Grand Teton. And this became a stop. So I didn't have the, you know, I didn't really have much of an expectation. Um, but getting there and, and the woe factor of the, the Shoshone Falls, 212 foot waterfall, the wow factor of this bridge and people jumping off of it and base jumping, the wow factor of, of kayaking down the Snake River and it being as glassy as a, a calm lake and, you know, kind of kayaking underneath the bridge and going over to Pillar Falls and seeing this really cool waterfalls all over the place. And there's, there's the main waterfalls, but as you're kind of kayaking down, there's waterfalls that are spilling in all over into the Snake River. So I think this area did have definitely a wow factor for me because of the fact that it, it just was something I'd never heard of. I would say the other place I think that that is just a wow factor is the Grand Teton Mountains. You know, that mountain range uh, in Grand Teton National Park in, in Jackson Hole, Jackson, Wyoming. Um, it, it's really unlike any other mountain range in the country. You know, they, they say it's kind of the, the most you can get to the, the European Alps uh, in the United States. But the way that you're already at, you know, 9,000 feet and then all of a sudden these mountain peaks come jetting out immediately it's just so vertical 4,000 feet in the air up to 13,000 feet right in front of you uh, is just such a dramatic thing to see and so I think those to me would probably be the two biggest wow factors um, and then you know Yellowstone is it, the whole place is kind of a wow factor you drive around and it's just such a strange environment between the the boiling pots and the, the waterfalls and the, the wildlife and it's just so vast and so big so I think there's definitely moments like that kind of filled throughout the trip, but uh, those were a couple for sure. I know the majority of your trip was kind of focused on Yellowstone, but Twin Falls is less than six hours away. That could be, you know, if you're from here and you just want to go for a weekend uh, between, you know, those falls that you mentioned, which are taller than Niagara and a couple other things, it seems like that could be a cool trip if you leave on a Friday, come back on a Monday. I think so. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, you don't, I think when you think of, of trips from Reno that are maybe in that five to six hour range, you know, you're thinking about going to the California coast. You think about going to, you know, not quite as far, but you think about going to Yosemite. Maybe you think about going to Oregon uh, or different parts of, of Idaho, but I'm not sure Twin Falls is something that just comes to people's mind right away. So I think you're right. I mean, I think it's a great little weekend destination uh, between watching the base jumpers and the kayaking that we did. I mean, that kayaking experience on the Snake River was so cool. And we'll show that to you. Uh, tomorrow on our sister station news four, you can catch that segment here on Friday on Nevada sports net, but that was such a cool experience. And I think it's worth it to go up there for the weekend, to see the waterfall, to go kayaking, you know, go watch the base jumpers. There's definitely plenty to keep you entertained. And then, you know, there's a cool little downtown area with some nice restaurants and stuff. And, and it's, it's very open right now. And um, you know, the one other thing we didn't get to do, but I was told is a great kind of thing about twin falls. There's a restaurant six and it's a, a kind of an outdoor restaurant that overlooks the snake river and and the canyon there it's it's supposed to be one of the top uh 10 restaurants in the state of idaho and and uh, we unfortunately weren't able to dine there during uh, our trip because it was closed on a sunday um but i've also heard that that's that's a really neat thing to do so if you go to twin falls you know check that out we went to this place called Kodo brewing which was in downtown uh cute little main street and, and they had some cool 
cool food and, and some, it's a, you know, some beer made in the house and stuff. So, you know, there's definitely a lot to make out of a weekend there for sure. One other thing I will mention, actually, no, I'll save it for Friday. I'll leave a little okay. nugget as an extra little kind of secret spot that I found that the locals told me about. That was pretty cool. I have a nugget, Chris. I have a nugget. This is the second time Alex has gone to a brewery and has there been beer brought back for you? <laughs> I've not seen any. Maybe I'll find some. Hey, man, my- I didn't even bring any back for myself. So, you know, if, 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 I, I could, you, you could have a gripe if I came back with like a case and I was just hoarding it. But right. I will say, you're right, man. I made a mistake in Oregon because that beer was good, man. That uh, Pelican Brewing Company, I should have come back with a couple cases, one for me and one for everyone else because it was – it was that good, but, uh, you know, lesson learned. Maybe next year I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to, to bring some extra storage for the beer. We'll have to make a road trip in an annual segment and, uh, and, and, and get you out a little further. Uh, if you want to check out Alex's pieces from Road Trip and all three of his trips, he's working on the third one right now. Uh, go to our website. It's nevadasportsnet.com. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, it, it's been a great break, even living vicariously through you, Alex. It's been a great break, I think, I think for all of us as well. So thank you very much. Sure thing. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we will dive into Murray's mailbag. A couple of serious questions, a couple that are not so serious, but uh, we'll break that down coming up next. It is Wednesday, and that means it's mailbag time. Uh, Chris Murray opens up uh, his Twitter account, at by Chris Murray, on, uh, on Sundays and accepts your questions. Uh, uh, Chris, how many words, and did people behave this week? About 4,500 words. Uh, shout out to Thomas Green. I think he asked six or seven questions. So uh, he, he, he kept me busy. Um, but no, it was a, a pretty decent li- length. Let's see if Thomas Green actually makes the show this week. Uh, let's start off with uh, still Ryan Lawrence at R. Lawrence NV. Uh, what would have been your game by game score predictions for Nevada football this year? Well, it's only an hour long show. Let's go just what were your, would have been your predictions when it comes to Nevada football? Yeah, so I went game by game if you want to read the article, but my final result was Nevada going 8-4 and four overall and 6-2 and two in conference. I think that's kind of the high end. I think their over-under total was about six, six and a half wins if you look at sports books and the advanced metrics. I just feel like the schedule set up so well. I mean, there's a lot of travel because you do have to go, um, you know, if the schedule would have played out, there would have been a trip to Hawaii, there would have been a trip to Arkansas, there would have been a trip to South Florida. So those are three pretty long trips, but uh, it is just a really easy schedule and with the position players Nevada had coming back the experience on the offensive line there were question marks on defense and how Nevada was going to transition to a completely new defense Um, but I I just think it was set up for Nevada to have a really good season I think they could have won 10 games if you include a bowl if everything went right now if everything went wrong they could have gone six and six I don't see a way that they wouldn't have made a bowl Um, but that that is the shame in losing this season is that there were no games like playing at Oregon that you knew Nevada wasn't going to win. Uh, they, they didn't Boise State, Air Force, or Colorado State, arguably the three best teams in the Mountain Division. Um, so I think they would have had a really, really good season. And hopefully we do get to see them play this spring. Um, but that's feeling a little iffy at this point. And uh, if it does happen, it's certainly not going to be a full 12 game season. Yeah, I went through your full breakdown. I only disagreed on one game. And the only, my only reasoning is that it was a long trip and it was early in the year. I think they would have beaten Arkansas. I don't think Arkansas would have had their feet under them yet with a, a new coach. I haven't seen anything to, to tell me that a, real, a pretty good Nevada team couldn't go in there into Fayetteville and win. Had that game been later in the season when, you know, the doldrums of travel maybe would have worn on them, I would have given it to the Razorbacks, but I would have taken Nevada to win that game. And, yes, a possible 10-win season. But, uh, yeah, it's disappointing. Uh, moving on to 
John W. Mackey, uh, the Big Ten news this week got me thinking, is there any indication the Mountain West might revisit their decision not to play football this fall? I'm going to just say hard pass on that already. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any indication, but if the Big Ten ends up playing in October, like it's been discussed, and the Pac-12 follows them, what does that leave the Mountain West? Uh, they playing in the spring with the MAC? Like, nobody's going to tune in for that. Yeah. I think you can get some of these rapid tests. I mean, the Abbott test is supposed to only take 15 minutes, cost $5, and is up to 95% uh, accuracy. If they can get those tests uh, in large supply, I think teams would feel a lot more comfortable playing. Um, I don't anticipate the Mountain West playing football in the fall. Uh, but, you know, like I said, if the two power conferences make that move and everybody else sticks through, there's not going to be much left to do in the spring. I mean, it's basically just going to be the Mountain West and the MAC playing. So I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I haven't heard any of those murmurs at this point. Yeah, I just haven't heard any rumblings of it. If if there had been more uh, reports coming out that you know, even, even people – you know, when, we, when you and I have our ear to the grounds, I mean, when we're trying to listen to what's going on, I'm just not hearing that. I'm not hearing that yeah. from anybody right now. Nevada is continuing to practice and stay in shape. And I would love to see football at Mackey Stadium this fall. But uh, like, I, like you said, I just haven't heard anything about it just yet. A couple of fun questions. Fake Matt Mummy, he's always on the show. Uh, how many pairs of sunglasses have been lost to the bottom of Lake Tahoe over its two million year history now i mean saying two million first off you nail them about pairs of sunglasses which that's that was a very very chris take um but two million year history how long have sunglasses been around yeah i don't i clearly don't know the answer to that question i don't like pairs of sunglasses like uh it's one sunglass like i understand there are two lenses but pairs of sunglasses i did have a little commentary on that i put the number at eleven thousand three hundred and forty six. i have no idea like do you think it would be more or less than that? I think it's way over that. Way over that. I've seen. I've seen, I've been on a boat for three hours in an afternoon, and I've seen three dudes lose their sunglasses. Okay, way over. I also did wedding rings. I put the wedding rings. Oh at yeah, sixty-seven. Yeah. Uh, I was actually a few years ago. I was up there, and a guy lost his wedding ring right on the shore. It wasn't in the middle of the lake, and we like canvassed it for like forty-five minutes. We didn't know the guy, but you know, you don't want to see someone lose his wedding ring. And it, you know, we couldn't find it. Once that thing drops into the water, whether you're on the shore or in the middle of the lake, it's gone, whether it's a wedding ring or a sunglasses. Uh, fortunately, I've been safe. I haven't lost either of those two things. Um, but yeah, okay, uh, more than 11,346 pairs of sunglasses is Brian's call. Uh, probably true. I'll yeah. go the over. I'll go the over on that. I, I recall being in college and a bunch of us all went up there and uh, had a big group uh, enjoying the lake there at Sand Harbor. And, and a gal started screaming. One of the women that were with us started screaming. She had lost a, a pendant. She, some people were roughhousing and they yanked the pendant off of her. And we searched for hours and we could not find it. And it was just heartbreaking. I still remember it to this day. And that was, gosh, 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. But uh, yeah, Lake Tahoe claims its share of, uh, of personal items. Uh, the final question for today, and um, uh, yep, it is noodles for president at Nevada underscore b-ball. After reading your bar selections in your favorite things about Reno last week, what was the Murray College bar rotation through each year of college? Yeah, I didn't have much of a rotation. Uh, I worked two or three jobs. I had 15 credits and I graduated when I was 21. So I wasn't even legal to drink. I never had a fake ID. But after college, I would usually we'd just go to Silver Peak right there downtown and then kind of play it by ear from there. I know when the Freight House District opened up, when Aces Ballpark opened up, 
uh, I would hit that place pretty often after covering a game. It'd be late nights. That place got pretty raucous. And then, you know, there were some incidents there. And then it kind of turned away from being a party location to more family-friendly location. So I'd say Silver Peak downtown had a lot of those grilled cheeses and started my nights out there. And then the Freight House District from roughly 2009 to 2011. Then, uh, you know, ended up getting married. So didn't go out quite as much once you start having kids and things of that nature. See, you and I are about 10 years apart. I think it's 12 years apart when it comes to our college experience. And those are fancy places compared to the places <laughs> that we got to go to in the mid-90s. Uh, it was uh, the breakaway when it was mm -hmm. down where the Circus Circus parking garage is now. And then it moved up and took over, I believe it was a Chinese food restaurant uh, across campus. And now it's been, uh, it's been demolished. Mm -hmm. There's a two-story bar there. You have the beer barrel next door to that which was always uh, always an interesting, don't wear nice shoes. There was a place called Easy Street, which was next to the Save Mart in the Keystone Shopping Center. I believe it's a theater in the corner there. And that place was always dark and interesting. And then uh, Rodeo Rock Cafe. The people, if, if you were a person of the 90s, you remember that country bar down on Mount Rose and Virginia Street. So yeah, those were the places we frequented in college. But, uh, for us, I lived in a house with a bunch of guys near campus. It was what's within walking distance. You know, that was mm -hmm. it. That was the thing. Is be safe. What's within walking distance? Murray's Mailbag is opened up every single Sunday afternoon at by Chris Murray. Um, who is it that submitted three? I forgot his name. Right? Thomas Green. Uh, Thomas Green. So I actually did do a one-off of his question. A mailbag left over on today's website. The best and worst seasons in Wolfpack athletics history. So I broke those two down. Thomas had a number of questions. That one got its own special headline. Thomas, we appreciate the uh, questions every single week. Appreciate everybody's questions. We try and get as many people on. But, I, hey, look at what questions make the show. If, if you throw something out, like how many pairs of sunglasses are at the bottom of Lake Tahoe, that gets our attention, and we can kind of banter about that. What college bars? Yeah, those are the fun ones, and usually those are the ones that make the show. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, a little hockey, and after that, a little Giants baseball. We'll, uh, we'll kick around the playoffs coming up next. Well, we will have a game six when it comes to the Knights and the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, game six uh, will happen after uh, Vancouver forcing that uh, two to one win over uh, Las Vegas. Uh, and Chris, this just kind of, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just a traditionalist when it comes to hockey. Uh, they go back to Laner and goal, and they, they, they flip flop goalies a couple of times. Um, you think it might have just been, hey, okay, we're up in the series, let's get Flurry a start, but. Flurry's the guy who's led him to all of this success, and now it's just weird to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too too stuck in my ways. Well, yeah, you don't usually see a team using two different goalies in the playoffs. I mean, uh, you know, the games are not back-to-back -back, uh, sometimes, so it's not – there's no need to get rest for your starting goalie for sure. Um, but, yeah, Vegas was up 2-1, to one, and I think that's probably why they part, uh, put Mark andre Flurry into the net the previous game and then went back to their typical starter and Robin Lehner. Um, you know, I, I think if Mark Andre Fleury didn't have the history that he had with the Knights, they probably would have stayed with Lehner the entire time. Uh, Lehner was coming off a shutout before Mark Andre Fleury went in there for, uh, you know, game four and then game five, they switched back to Lehner. So, um, you know, the Knights should have won last night. I mean, they outshot uh, the Canucks 43 to 17. Whenever you more than double up your opponent in shots on goal, you feel pretty confident about your odds. And, they go out there and they, they score the go-ahead goal in the second period, but then they gave up the equalizer like 25 seconds after that. And then Vancouver scored with about three minutes left for the game winner. So, um, you know, it's not always the amount of shots you have. Uh, Vancouver, obviously, 
uh, with the edge there to tighten up the series. Uh, Vegas still has two opportunities up 3-2 uh, in the series to go out there and, uh, you know, win this thing and move on to the Western Conference Finals. And I, I imagine you're going to see Laner in the net for the remainder of this series as well. But, yeah, I agree with you that it is a little odd to be using multiple goalies in the playoffs. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has only played in one of the team's games so far. It's not like they've gone back and forth a lot. Um, but there really wasn't any reason to pull out Laner in the first place outside of maybe just wanting to give him a little bit of a break and, you know, give Marc-Andre Fleury kind of a tip of the hat that, you know, we still believe in you and we still want you to be part of this. Yeah, I get it if we have the scenario that's happened a couple of times with teams where they have, they're playing on back-to-back nights um, where, you okay, you have a late-night game and then maybe an afternoon game the next day, which is which is extremely odd, but, you know, everything's odd in 2020, and getting a goalie a little bit of rest. But, yeah, I mean – to me, it's it's like changing a quarterback. It's like changing your best starting pitcher. You know, it's that guy that you rely upon, and you know he's going to be back there uh, covering your back, and, uh, you know, you can you can go with him. Uh, game six will be on Thursday between Vancouver and Vegas. Vegas, of course, leading this series now three games to two. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, what a day for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, can you keep some of these runs in your pocket, Chris? Can we, are, are we able, allowed to roll some of these over? Giants with a record day in Colorado at Coors Field. Let's kick that around next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. The baseball season continues uh, as well as it seems to be going. And, uh, you know, Chris, when you look up and down the lineup of the San Francisco Giants, there's not a lot of offense there. You don't see a a lot of big bats. You, You see some guys having a good season. You know, Solano's hitting the ball. Uh, Yastrzemski's having a good season, but outside of that, you're kind of like, well, Alex Dickerson, but the Giants went nuts yesterday at Coors Field, 23-5 to win on Tuesday. As a Giants fan myself, I'm like, can't we pocket some of these runs and move them along? I mean, Alex Dickerson hit three home runs, career-high six runs batted in, Brandon Crawford, Donovan Solano, each with six RBIs, first time in Major League history that three players had six runs batted in each in a single game. I can see it right now, Chris. You, being the Dodger faithful that you are, you are terrified. You're so scared that the Giants are going to chase you down. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but big night. Well, I mean, they're not going to chase them down for first in the NOS, but right now they'd be in a playoff spot. They're uh, you know right in front of the Rockies by half a game for that final and uh, eighth playoff spot. So they would play the Dodgers in the first round of three game series, anything can happen in the three game series. So they've certainly overachieved and it's really been that offense that's overachieved. I mean, they're sixth in baseball and run scored per And as we mentioned in that season opener against the Dodgers, like we didn't know most of the names in the lineup. So I think you got to give a lot of credit to Farhan Zidi for, you know, creating some kind of offense out of this team and being able to find guys like Solano or Dickerson and be able to plug them in. Uh, Yastrzemski has kind of proven that he is an all-star caliber player after last year. Some people might've thought it was a flash in the pan. So the offense has been there. I mean, obviously the numbers inflated because of last night's game, which was a really cool game. Um, The pitching has been the issue. I mean, outside of Kevin Gossman, there hasn't been a lot in starting pitching there eighth in baseball and runs allowed per game. Um, so, you know, not, not doing great there, but, you know, the offense has been good enough that right now they're in a playoff spot with about teams left to play in the season. And, uh, you know, it's just such a weird season. You're not going to be having home field advantage in the playoffs. You are going to have a three-game series followed by a five-game series. And like I said, truly anything can happen in a three-game series. All you got to do is win two out of three games. You know, they put themselves in the eighth playoff spot and, uh, you know, get a chance to upset the Dodgers where all of the pressure would be on the Dodgers. And, 
you never know what could happen. So at least they're playing some meaningful and interesting games. And this series is certainly very interesting and meaningful just because it is kind of the two teams currently fighting for that eighth playoff spot. And really, they're not that far off. I mean, they're, what, a game and a half out of uh, having the fifth playoff spot. So the team that could be in the, the thick of things if they can just get a little bit more consistent pitching. And we saw with the trade deadline, they certainly didn't trade the Gossmans and the Tony Watsons. I think they are going to try and make a run at this thing. Yeah, it's, it is interesting that, that you see that anything can happen. And, you know, it's baseball. I mean, the Giants, 2010, 2012, 2014, I mean, I, you could argue every one of those years, at least 2014 is, and 2012, that the Giants were definitely not the best team in baseball, maybe not the best team in the National League, and you make a run. You get hot at the right time. To, to put in perspective what Dickerson did, he finished with 16 total bases in the game, three home runs, two doubles. It ties the Giants franchise record, which was set by Willie Mays on April 30th, 1961, against the Milwaukee Braves. Dickerson's only the 15th player in Major League history and 12th since 1901 to have five extra base hits in a game. This is all according uh, to uh, ESPN and the Elias Sport Bureau. I have to give credit to Gabe Kapler in this. And uh, honestly, when the Giants hired Gabe Kapler, as their new manager, it wasn't the sexy pick for me. It wasn't like, okay, I mean, you're replacing a Hall of Famer. You know, you know you're, you're trying to replace a, a big, really big name who is beloved in San Francisco. Um, but you got to give credit to Kapler, and, and who said, guys, we're a Major League Baseball team too. We're in this. Well, you know, let, let's go do this. He's, he's galvanized the clubhouse and, and has gotten the most out of maybe some limited talent. Oh, for sure. And I think Brandon Belt coming back and, and playing well has been a big, big lift as well. I mean, he's hitting 337, OPS over 1,000. Brandon Crawford has turned it around. So some of the more known names, some of the veterans, uh, Crawford up to 280 now, and his OPS is somewhere around 800. That's really good numbers for a shortstop. So you have some of those potential, uh, and then you have some of these young guys who are just taking that opportunity and, and playing well. And uh, you know, obviously the, the managing goes a long way in making sure that they're comfortable and they feel like even if they have a bad game or two, they're not going to be pulled out. So uh, you've seen Joey Bart come up. You know, he's had some hits and misses. He's hitting about 222. That's not the greatest figure, but, you know, it shows you that, you know, the Giants could have kept him on their alternative site and tried to massage another year uh, out of him and not make sure that he became a free agent, you know. Um, but I think they, they're saying, okay, we feel like we can do something this year. Let's bring up our most talented players. He's certainly in that group. And we do have the September 15th date. I don't know that Buster Posey is necessarily going to come back, but people who did opt out, as long as they're on that major league roster by September 15th, uh, they would be able to play in the postseason. So let's say, you know, 10 days from now, Buster Posey feels comfortable coming back. Maybe he gives the Giants a little push toward the end and you get a, a shot in the arm. Maybe somebody like David Price for the Dodgers or Marcus Stroman for the Mets change their mind. So that'll be interesting to watch as well. I mean, we just passed the trade deadline, but these teams can make some quote-unquote acquisitions if some of their bigger players who have opted out previously do decide to come back and want to make a push for the playoffs. You're reminding me of the water boy, man, with Adam Sandler. Remember when Bobby Boucher came back in the second half and, and uh, Bud Dogs won the Bourbon Bowl? Remember when Buster Posey came back and the Giants won the World Series? <laughs> uh, that's a little much. But, uh, I, I, you know, if Buster feels comfortable doing it, I didn't have a problem because, you know, with him and his family situation, you know, having the children, you know, I, I, get, I got it. But I would love to see Buster back behind the plate or at first base or put him at shortstop like he was in college. I don't care. I just want to see his bat – in the lineup. But at the end of the day, it's good for baseball. If you see the Giants and the Dodgers, you need the Red Sox playing the Yankees. You need to have these rivalries 
playing each other. And Giants-Dodgers playoffs, I don't care what happens. I don't care if they get swept. I'd just love to see it. It would be good for baseball. And trust me, 2020 needs to give us a little bone. I mean, it needs to give us some love. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, speaking of bone and love, yeah, no, we, we, we lost a huge event this week in the rib cook-off. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that coming up next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Uh, you know, uh, maybe we need to put a limit on how many times Fake Matt Mummy can make the show. I don't even know who the guy is, but he does have great content on his social media page. But today he broke my heart a little bit, Chris, and reminded us that today would have been day one of the 2020 Nugget Rib Cook-Off. And I love this area for so many reasons. Reno, Sparks, Carson, Gardnerville, Fallon, Friendly. I mean, Northern Nevada is a great place to live. But because of the events that we have, almost year-round, but summertime, I dare a city to say that they have better events when it comes to summertime. But the Nugget Rib Cook-Off, man, that's one that's personal for me, is that you just walk around, you get a lemonade, try these ribs, try those ribs, find, try and find shade is the toughest part and a place to sit down. But that, that broke my heart a little bit today. That's tough. And next week would have been the uh, hot air balloon races, which is maybe my favorite event. Uh, the Genoa Candy Dance next month canceled. Reno River Festival canceled. Hot August Nights canceled. Street uh, Vibrations canceled. I agree with you that the events is one of the best things to live in in Northern Nevada. Unfortunately, we've lost all of them. I'm just hopeful that we can have all of these events, including the Reno Rodeo and the air races, come back next summer. That's the thing is the uncertainty of can they weather the, the, weather the storm and come back, you know? Uh, you mentioned the uh, the balloon races. If I'm a balloonist, and I'm not suggesting you break the law or anything, but I would maybe drive a truck out to Rancho San Rafael, see if I can get a permit, and let launch one balloon, launch one balloon, and just just for something, so people can have something to enjoy. You know, it's uh, it's tough, but that's just it's just kind of it's what we're dealing with right now, and and uh, you know we're talking about college football in the springtime, or maybe not even happening until next fall. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I think all these events are going to come back, uh, and I'm going to be really excited to go out there and see them. Uh, the balloon race is always one of my favorites because you take out the kids. You got to get up early and all that kind of stuff. Everybody has their own favorite, and I think that is what makes Northern Nevada unique. I did write like my 20 favorite things on my 20th anniversary of moving to Reno on the website last week, and one of them was the events, and I had a number of people reach out who aren't from this area but moved here recently who said, it's very different with how many unique events that we have throughout the summer. And that's one of the things that they love most about living here. Your son, Dominic, is definitely one of our best uh, kind of sensors when it comes to culture in Northern Nevada. Does he have a favorite summer events that, that you know, you have to take him to? He has not gone to the balloon races. I usually take my daughter. Um, so he hasn't done that one yet. He does like the Reno River Festival. He just likes being down by the water. Uh, you know, you kind of got to watch him to make sure he doesn't jump into the water. But there's, you know, they've had dog shows there before. They've had bounce houses. He likes the kayak. So that's probably his favorite one. All right. That'll do it for us today here on NSN Daily. If you want to check out uh, Murray's Mailbag Road Trip and or the All-Northern Defensive Team, just go to our website. That's NevadaSportsNet.com. For Chris Murray and Anthony Resnick, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks very much for being with us. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.